Well, this morning we come now to uh, the end of our study and the end of Moses' life. Now, let me set the scene for you before I read this, just so you get a sense of the gravity of the situation. The Israelites are finally about to enter into the land of promise. When we find them this morning, they are on the east bank of the Jordan River after wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years. And it's there as they're on the brink of the land that God calls Moses to go up to Mount Nebo. And on the top of the mountain, Moses can see the entire land of promise just right there laid out before him. He can see the whole thing. There it is. It is the near fulfillment of the final of the three promises that God made to Abraham generations before. And now Moses is finally on the cusp of it. It is laid out before him. And there he dies. He dies with the promise in sight on foreign soil. He dies outside of the land. Now, it certainly doesn't sound like the fairy tale ending that we would have written if we would have written Moses' story, does it? But I want you to know this morning that it's actually better than any fairy tale you would have written. Let's read now and consider the good news of Jesus for us this morning here in the story of the death of one of his greatest servants, Moses himself. We're going to read three passages this morning. The first is 32 verses, uh, chapter 32, verses 48 through 52. We're going to skip chapter 33 and then read the final verses of Deuteronomy, 1 through 12 and 34. And then Hebrews chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. Let me read for us. That very day the Lord spoke to Moses, Go up this mountain of the Abarim, Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab opposite Jericho, and view the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel for a possession, and die on the mountain which you go up, and be gathered to your people as Aaron your brother died in Mount Hor and was gathered to his people, because you broke faith with me in the midst of the people of Israel at the waters of Meribah Kadesh, in the wilderness of Zin. And because you did not treat me as holy in the midst of the people of Israel. For you shall see the land before you, but you shall not go there into the land that I am giving the people of Israel. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negev and the plain, that is, the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zor. And the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. 
And then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And Joshua the son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him, and they did as the Lord had commanded Moses. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord did sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. Now centuries later, the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Jesus Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we thank you for the life of this servant this morning. We thank you, God, not just for his life, but for his death. Would you teach us what the death of this man, and particularly what his eulogy says about what it means to live in faithfulness, what it means to give ourselves to you, what it means to know Jesus. We pray in the name of your Son. Amen. Many of you, no doubt, felt those uh, strange tremors last fall when a series of earthquakes rocked the DFW area, right? I think we had like 11 in one day at some point. After the first major earthquake, which I think measured, uh, measured 3.3, I saw this uh, funny picture posted on social media. At the top of the picture, it said, Dallas Earthquake 2014. And then below it had an image of a spilled over Starbucks paper cup on a table with the last bit of coffee draining from it. And then at the bottom the words said, we will rebuild. (laughs) The Metroplex is a resilient people. Now obviously the meme was poking fun at the hype of the tremor. It was on the national news. But for the most part our lives were not deeply affected by the event. There is, however, no way to overstate, I don't think, the significance of this event for the people of Israel. This is the death of Moses. This is a massive tremor. It is a massive shock to their reality. I want you just to put yourself in their shoes for a moment this morning. Moses is the only leader they have ever known as a free people. Moses is the one who led them into freedom, and in some pretty remarkable ways, wouldn't you say? Moses is the only leader who has given to them the Word of God. He's the only way they've known the will of God for their lives. And he's the only leader they've ever known who has actually stood in the gap and pleaded their case when they rebelled against God. It was Moses' successful mediation that is the cause of their life in this moment. And so for over 40 years, the lives of the people of Israel have been bound up with the courage and the faith of this man. His death is a massive transition, a massive shock to their reality. And yet here at the end of Deuteronomy, in in spite of the pain of losing what is no doubt their greatest leader, I want you to notice that the tone of the passage is one of great, great hope. Isn't that interesting? Considering the circumstances... The end of Moses' life 
is not a passage of despair. It is instead a eulogy of thanksgiving. It is a passage of hope for what God will do next. The writer here is convinced that God's purposes are moving forward not in spite of, but actually through the death of Moses. You know, the fate of Israel has always been in, in, in Yahweh's hands, not in Moses's. But now Israel will have an opportunity to experience that for themselves. In 2005, in his commencement address at Stanford, Steve Jobs remarked that we cannot connect the dots of our lives looking forward. You can't connect the dots of what will happen. The only way to connect the dots of a life is to look backwards. That's what I want us to do for a moment this morning. I want us to connect the dots of Moses' life through the eulogy that we get here at the very end of the Pentateuch, the end of Deuteronomy. And I want us to connect those dots with this question in mind. What is it that we can say about a man? What is it that we can say about a man through whom the glory of God is celebrated even in his death? What can we learn about a well-lived life through the death, not the life, but through the death of one of God's greatest servants? Three things I want to point out to you this morning from the eulogy as we wrap up our study on the life and person of Moses. The first is this. The first is this. Moses was a flawed servant. Let me say it again. We've said it over and over again. Moses was a flawed servant. I point that out this morning again because the eulogy itself points it out. It seems a very strange thing to us to know that a man's greatest failure is revisited in his eulogy. (laughs) But Scripture does that. Listen in chapter 32 and verses 50 through 51 again with me. It's there in front of you. That very day the Lord spoke to Moses, Go up this mountain and view the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel for a possession, and die on the mountain which you go up, because you broke faith with me in the midst of the people of Israel at the waters of Meribah Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. And then again in verses 4 through 5 of chapter 34, and the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not go over there. Even in his death, even the greatness of Moses, even in his death, Moses still does not get a pass. He doesn't get a pass. Now, Meribah, if you remember, we talked about it weeks ago, and I don't expect you to remember everything, but I'll just remind you, what happened at Meribah? At Meribah, God told Moses to speak to the rock. And do you remember what Moses did instead? He struck the rock. God told Moses to speak to the rock, and instead he struck the rock. Small detail? A little bit of an overreaction? Surely God will let that slide? Surely God will understand. Doesn't he see the pressure that Moses is under at work in this moment? But no. Not even Moses. Not even under tremendous circumstantial pressure gets a pass. The text says that Moses broke faith with God. It says that he failed to respect the holiness of God. And the Bible never flinches from this. 
that Moses too, like those in his generation, is a sinner. And yet what is implicit here in this eulogy is made also explicit in Hebrews 3. Though a sinner, Moses is still considered a faithful servant. Do you see that? The Bible does not discount Moses' flaws or gloss over his sin even in his eulogy. And still it does not deny that he was a faithful man. The Bible has no problem looking at Moses as saying flawed and faithful at the same time. And what that means is that somehow, God in His grace has made provision for flawed men to still be faithful men. You know, sometimes I think we settle for this all-or-nothing language of, you know, no one's perfect. Well, no one's perfect. You know, in the right context, that can be a helpful reminder that we all stand condemned before God, that but for the grace of God go all of we, and that every sin deserves the wrath and curse of God, including my own. But in the wrong context, that can become a pitiful excuse for a lack of effort towards progression and our own obedience to God. No one is per- no one is perfect, so I might as well do whatever I want to in this moment. Now you know this, but there is a lot of room. There's a lot of space in between perfection and utter debasement. <laughs> There's a lot of room in between there. And Moses himself never uses something like the instant at Meribah as an excuse to slow down in his obedience to God. Men, where you sit this morning, you are flawed men. But you can still be a faithful man, even in your flawedness. God has made provision for flawed men to still be faithful men. Which brings us to the second thing we learned from Moses' eulogy here, and it's this. Moses was a man who finished well. Moses was a man who finished well. Look at me at verse 7. I love this. Put this on my gravestone one day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. I don't love that part. That seems a little bit too much. But then it says this about him. His eye was undimmed, and his vigor what? Unabated. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. What does that mean? It means that Moses never retired from his service to God. It means that Moses was old on the outside. He had had the, the focus of youth, the energy of youth, animation of youth on the inside. It means that Moses finished well, that he ran through the finish line instead of being content to crawl towards it. Now maybe where you sit this morning, you're on the younger end of things. Or you think you're on the younger end of things. Or for whatever reason, you don't think that finishing well applies to you. Or for whatever reason, you don't want to think about finishing well this morning. You know, the one thing that we all have in common, among other things, but one thing that we all have in common is that none of you, where you sit this morning, knows the hour of your death. You don't know when it will come. None of us. It could be this afternoon. It could be tomorrow. It could be next week. It could be years from now. All of us could be much closer to finishing than we realize. And there is something important for how Moses finishes this morning that applies to you, no matter how old you are or no matter how young you feel, and it's this. All along, throughout Moses' life, he was committed to shepherding and empowering the generation that followed him. Do you see that? That's how he finished well. 
Moses shepherded and empowered the generation that would come after him. Now we see that specifically in chapter 31. In this, at the end of chapter 34, it alludes to this, but Moses lays hands on Joshua in the sight of all of Israel, and he authorizes Joshua to take up the mantle of leadership on his behalf. But even, even then, between 34 and 32, the part that we didn't read, the whole th- chapter of 33, his final public act of leadership is Moses pronouncing a benediction on all the tribes of Israel, on all the generation that would follow him, on everyone who will enter into the land when he dies. He blesses them in his final public act of leadership. In fact, we can say it like this. For his entire life, Moses has been preparing the next generation, the one that would come after him, to live in a time and in a place that he will never enter. His entire life is given to preparing the next generation to living in a time and place that he will never know. Listen to me. It does not matter how old you are this morning. The next generation is with us. It's with us. You tuck them in at night, some of you. Some of you watch them tucking in your grandkids at night. The next generation is here among us now. They're in our nurseries and our high school rooms on Sunday mornings. They're in your offices when you go to work. They're in our schools in West Dallas throughout the week. And here's a question for us to think about this morning. No matter how old you are, what will the next generation say about you? What will the next generation say about you? It's an interesting question, isn't it? What will be our legacy for the generations that come after us? For the generations to follow us? Now, I don't know the answer to that question, but I know what Joshua's generation said about Moses because it's canonized in the first chapter of Joshua. Here's what they say. They say to Joshua, Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. He brought us into the land of promise, even though it was never for him to enjoy. He empowered us to flourish. Moses taught us faithfulness in the midst of suffering and leadership in the midst of chaos. Moses finished well, not just for his own sake. Moses finished well for our sake. He empowered the next generation to follow him and to flourish after he left. He finished well. Finally, this morning from the eulogy, I want us to see this. This is the main point. In all of his life, and even into his death, Moses himself lived for something greater than himself. Moses lived for something greater than himself. Now, there is a hint of this in verse 8. Look there with me in chapter 34. It says this. I love this too. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab for 30 days. And then what happened? Then the days of weeping and Moses, mourning for Moses were what? They were done. They wept for him for 30 days, and then it says the days were ended. The people cried for a month, and then they moved on. They cried for a month, and they looked at Joshua and said, next man up. Who's next? Now think about this. Why a month? Why 30 days for this solitary, unique, unparalleled leader? Well, it was the exact same amount of time that the people had wept for Aaron. Because it was merely the traditional period of time for mourning a civil leader. And that's all that Moses was. Moses was a man. He was not a god. And the people were prevented from idolizing him. Now, it's my feeling 
that Moses taught them that. Think about it. How easy it would have been for Moses to live for his own renown, right? To make himself into a god in the sight of the people. It was a common thing to do at that time and place. But nowhere in the Pentateuch, nowhere in all the books that Moses we find Moses in, nowhere in the Pentateuch does Moses express any interest in memorializing his own name. For Moses, it has always been about the glory of God. For Moses, it has always been about the renown of the name of Yahweh. In fact, I just want you to notice how the story ends for a moment. If you're Moses, think about it. Put yourself in his shoes. You're at the top of Mount Nebo. You're looking at the promised land. Do at some point you think to yourself, there it is. I'm going to make a run for it. I mean, seriously, what is the worst that can happen to me at this point? I die? I'm dying here anyway. And yet at the end, overlooking the thing that we have come to believe that Moses wants most, Moses himself does not argue with his fate. He dies resting in the hands of Yahweh. Because Moses has come to desire God more than he's come to desire the gifts of God. He dies in the hands of Yahweh. He is living for him. But there is another hint about Moses living for something bigger than himself, and this is what is unique about Moses. That is to say, unique about the role that Moses himself plays in God's story. Moses not only dies as a servant of God, Moses also dies as a shadow. A shadow, and uniquely so, of someone that he knows is still to come. See, the book of Deuteronomy actually gives us two reasons why Moses dies here, outside of the promised land. The first reason we've just mentioned it's here in his eulogy, it's because Moses sinned and broke faith with God, and that was on him. But the second reason is found in Deuteronomy chapter 3, verses 23 through 25. In Deuteronomy 3, it says that Moses pleaded with the Lord for the Lord to allow Moses to enter into the land, but the Lord was angry with Moses, and he refused to allow him to enter because of the sins of the people of Israel. In other words, not only is Moses forbidden to enter the land because of his own sin, but Moses is also forbidden to enter the land because of the sins of the people. There in Deuteronomy 3, the sins of Israel of the people of God, are assigned to him. Now, if you remember, that is exactly what Moses himself asked for in the golden calf episode. We looked at it a couple weeks ago. He says to God, in order to spare the people of Israel, in order to spare your people, O Lord, let their sin, let their rebellion, he had nothing to do with the golden calf, in order to spare them, let their failure fall upon me and blot me out instead. Moses dies outside the land, not only because he sinned. Moses dies outside of the land because the people sinned. He dies outside of the land on behalf of the people, and it is through his death that the next generation gets to finally enter the promised land. Moses' death actually opens up the promised land to the next generation. Moses lives for something greater than himself, but here's why. Because Moses knew that someone greater than himself would ultimately live for him. You see, Moses knew that another hero would come along. 
Moses mentions this in Deuteronomy 18, and he knows that this hero will finish not just the journey of the people that he never gets to finish, but will also finish the journey of Moses himself. And this hero, this final prophet, the Son of God, Jesus of Nazareth, he will die. Much like we find Moses dying here at the end of Deuteronomy 34. The sins of the people will be assigned to him. And he will lay down his life on foreign soil, in exile, on a Roman cross, in order to open up the land of promise to every generation, including his servant Moses. Here's what I want you to see this morning as we close. Both in empowering Joshua and in offering himself for the people, Moses anticipates that a future leader of God will finish the journey for him. He was content in the end to let another hero lead him. And it begs the question for us this morning as well. When your time finally comes, and you, like Moses, have to pass through death's shadow, who will you trust to lead you through the Jordan River? When that time comes for you, who will speak up for you and offer his own life in your place? Who will open up the land of promise for you? The Bible tells us that only Jesus, the Son of God, is both willing and able to finish your journey. What allows someone to live for something greater than himself is to know that someone else, someone greater than himself, has already lived and died for him and that your fate is secure in his hands. This is what Moses knew, both in his life and in his death. So that in his life and in his death, it speaks of the gospel of Jesus Christ for us this morning. May our lives speak of the same gospel. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that we would trust you, we would trust the final prophet that Moses looked to, to lead him, to rest in, to finish the journey that he began with you. And we do pray, O oh God, that you would teach us what it means to be faithful even though we're flawed. God, that you would help us to finish well. Um, you would help us to empower the, the next generation to flourish, O oh Lord. May they see in us what Joshua's generation saw in Moses, someone who could rest, a people who could rest in you. We pray all this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.